it's just the way we are made. That, that all of us, I mean, if, if you look at cultures around the world, they're always, we're always trying to explain, um, you know, why things happen. Why did it rain? Why did it thunder? Why, why does it get hot? Why does it, and, and we get all these belief systems all over the place. And then you have people today in modern society that says, I don't believe in anything except science and, and, and myself and everything. And so the truth is, you know, I love it when I, I have friends that come up and says, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, and I don't believe in atheists. Because I don't think there is any such thing. I think all of us find something that we want that's more than us. And whether it's science, or whether it's some crazy tree, or anything, we are always trying to fill space. And you ever wonder why? It's very, very simple. Um, Solomon, smartest guy, wisest man that ever lived, um, he put it this way. He said he has made everything appropriate in its time, but he has also put eternity in their hearts. But man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning to end. See, God has already placed, he wired us to be looking for something greater. Now, the problem is, most of the time, is that we go and look everywhere else other than God. And that, that's really what I want to talk about tonight. We started a series last week that we were going to be marching through the Bible. And the whole idea that... <coughs> Excuse me, this book, I mean, 66 books, 40 or so authors, written over 1,600 years, but it's still one message. It's one clear story. And so we're going to continue to march through that. But I want to talk tonight about the things that we use, we replace God with. Because our desire to put, in fact, um, I love quotes. And one of my favorite is a guy, Charles Spurgeon. He says, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the Creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. So let that, let that just kind of sit there because I, I wish I would have said that. It's, it's the emptiness of everything else. And I think if we're honest tonight, if we take a real honest look and we look at all the places where we've tried to maybe replace God and we've looked for that, something to fill that longing for us to have more. If we're honest, it's really empty. And that's what we're going to dive in tonight. So will you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to gather. Um, God, I just I can't believe after these five months and everything, we're here. God, we are so grateful and so blessed by you just to have a place like this to come and be a part of God and, and to get all the things done. But Father, you know, paint and sound systems and videos and TVs, none of that makes any difference. God, it's your presence, and it's your word that changes lives. And so, God, that's what I pray tonight, that it will not be about a new space or any of this. God, it will be about your word penetrating your heart, not mine, yours. That you would receive the glory, that you would receive the credit. And that, God, tonight, even tonight, lives will be changed. That revival will begin. And, God, you will do a work beyond anything that we can imagine. So, Father, have your way. Move me out of the way, and you have your way. Tonight, we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, we've been in this series, and, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, this whole thing is we're going to march through the Bible this year, maybe the next couple of years and stuff. This idea that God has had that same message of, of, of restoring and redeeming his creation all through Scripture. And, and right now, we're kind of locked in with Moses. Last week, if, if you were here in our home last week, we talked about Moses 
and was calling this really unlikely type person that God chose that tried to do it himself and then was humbled and then came up and stuff. But today, today I, I want to talk about Pharaoh. And, and I want to talk about the process that happened when God actually redeemed and restored and freed his people um, from Egypt. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 5, and we're going to jump from Exodus 5 all the way through Exodus 12. So I hope you have plenty of time. I figure it would take us about six hours, so we should be good. But um, we're, we're going to jump right then. But I, I want to start with this whole picture of here's Moses being called. To go and speak to Pharaoh, to lead his people and give, bring them freedom. After 400 years of being in Egypt, after 400 years being in, 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 the, in the slavery and in the bondage and everything that happened over that time, this entire nation grew out of just like a, a very small nomadic tribe, became a nation. And so, so God sends Moses to Pharaoh. And here's Pharaoh, the, the chief guy. And I always wonder what that was like, because Moses grew up probably with Pharaoh. And I don't know if they were buddy buddies, if they played together, if they like, picked on Moses or any of that stuff. But I always wondered what that was like for Moses to go in there and say, okay, here's the big honcho with you, here's the deal. And, and just communicate. And, and you see in the heart of Pharaoh of what God does and what God reveals, because God has a very specific plan in this whole idea. See, I, I, I want you to be very, very clear this God will make himself known, whether we want him to or not. God is going to make himself known. And so starting in Exodus 5, when we see first the heart of Pharaoh. It says that later Moses and Aaron, starting verse 1, later Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is Yahweh that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know anything about Yahweh, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Right off the bat, there's an empty heart. No room for anything else. It's just this emptiness. It's like, who is God? And I don't know, but I run into people every single week. That when I tell them, hey, this is what I do, this is how I live my life, they're like, why? That, that, that's crazy. That's just, just ridiculous. And, and there's like no comprehension of what it means to follow after God and to love God and try to serve God and to, and to do that. And, and we're seeing that more and more in our culture. We're seeing that more and more in our world, that the separation, this is what the people look like that actually follow Jesus. And all those other people that have just said, I'm an American, I'm American, so I'm a Christian, I'm American, so, so I must be a Christian, have decided, well, maybe I'm not. And, and the emptiness starts showing. So it starts with an empty heart. It starts with the idea that when we start replacing God, there's an emptiness in us. It moves very quickly to an embittered heart. Jump down to 6, verse 9. Look at Pharaoh. This is Moses. He, he could have just finish there. I'm not going to let him go. But he gets a little angry. He says, that day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen. Don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for, for they are slackers. That is why they're crying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. They will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. Pharaoh's just like, okay, fine. You want to be free? I'm going to add work to you. And I'm going to keep pushing you. I'm going to keep pushing you. And I'm not going to make it any easier. I'm going to make it harder and harder and harder and harder on you. That's that bitterness that comes in. See, I, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really kind of scary that in an empty heart, 
usually the first thing that comes in is some form of bitterness. And, and I got, I got to tell you, I got to warn you that bitterness is a thing that takes root. Bitterness is a thing that starts affecting everything around you. Bitterness affects your family, your friends, your relationships, and all of it. It just comes in and takes over. That's that's what Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, I don't, I don't need God. I don't even know God, and I'm just gonna make it harder on y'all. And so that bitterness comes in. But when we start getting embittered, our heart gets exposed. Jump over to Exodus six. See, I told you, God will make himself known. Listen listen to what he says here. In Exodus 6, verse 1, he says, But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let them go because of my strong hand. He will drive them out of his land because of my strong hand. Jump over to verse chapter 7. Verse 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand on Egypt and bring the divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites among them. <coughs> See, I know we look at the world around us and we're like, man, it's crazy, and there's just bad stuff and things. And I, I just got to tell you, God is not surprised by any of it. I, I got the funniest looks. I, I remember preaching after um, our current president was elected again and got up in front of people and just said, I just want you to know God is not surprised that he's president because God's the one that allowed him to be there. It's our job to pray for him. We get so wrapped up in everything where God says, let me show you what I'm going to do. I will show myself. All we have to do is be obedient. We, we don't need picket signs and we don't need Facebook posts and we don't need all kinds of stuff and all kinds of nastiness and stuff that the world does. And so we just need to sit back and be obedient in our faith and let God be God. Because when God shows up, he's going to say, let me show Pharaoh what I'm going to do. Let me show the Egyptians that there will be no doubt when this is done that I am God. God doesn't need us to defend him. He needs us to follow and be obedient. And so it happens, and God will expose everything. And so God chooses a way that, man, I'm so glad I didn't live back then. Because God says, I'm going to show. And then he comes out with ten plagues. And it's really interesting to me that these plagues, and we're going to run through them. We're going to run through all ten of them. And like we're not, we're not going to read every verse, but we're going to jump in. But every single plague that we're about to go over, it's a direct representation, direct attack to show against an Egyptian God. To tell the Egyptians and Pharaoh, says, here's what you've replaced me with. Here's, let me show you the truth out of all of it. And so, uh, so I love, in the beginning, yeah. in, in, in the beginning, God just basically, he's throwing a wake-up call. I mean, he doesn't have to do this in his graciousness and in his goodness and in his love and his mercy. He's just basically doing a wake-up call in the beginning with this. In the very first plague, Exodus 7, verse 15 through 18, it says, God talking to Moses says, Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When you see him walking out to the water, stand ready to meet him by the bank of the Nile. Take your hand, take in your hand the staff that turned into a snake. Tell Yahweh, the God of Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. 
But so far you've not listened. This is what Yahweh says. Here's how you will know that I am Yahweh. Watch. I will strike the water in the Nile with the staff of my hand, and it will turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating that God starts with probably one of the most precious things that they do. I mean, the other gods are statues and stuff. This is the Nile River. They worship it. This, is, this was everything to them. And it was happy, the God of the Nile. I like that happy. And, and, and Moses did it, struck it, turned to blood. Seven days, fish died. And talk about red tide, stink, plunk. It was horrible. And yet, Pharaoh's like, yeah. Because his magician said, well, we can do that. Look, we can turn the water into blood. He's like, it's nothing. It's just a wake-up call. They go seven days. They've got water stores. <coughs> they're, not, they're not in danger. It's just like God saying, here, let me get your attention. Watch what I can do. And yet, he still doesn't do it. And so, in Exodus 8, it says, then, then the Lord said to Moses, go in, uh, sorry, verse 1, sorry, go to Pharaoh and tell him, this is what Yahweh says, let my people go so they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, then I will plague all your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up and go into your palace, into your bedroom, and on your bed, into the houses of your officials and your people, and into your ovens and kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you, your people, and all your officials. Now, some people I know like frogs in here. I bet you wouldn't like them after that. <laughs> everywhere. Frogs are everywhere. And it's a, right then, Hecate is the goddess of renewal. And it is a frog-headed goddess. It's a statue of a frog with legs. You know, a person with a frog head. And everything. And, and they're everywhere. But again, it's just uncomfortable. It's just God saying, listen, look what I'm doing. <coughs> look what I'm doing. Pay attention. And yet Pharaoh looks back and he's like, no, still not good. Because... It says the magicians, they did the same thing. They brought frogs into the land. But they couldn't get rid of them. They could bring more frogs, but they couldn't get rid of them. And then finally, the, the third plague, in Exodus 8, starting down at 16, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff. He didn't go to Pharaoh this time. He says, Just stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. It will become gnats. Throughout the land of Egypt. And they did this. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff. And when he struck the dust of the earth, gnats were on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats throughout the land of Egypt. Again, annoying. I'm thinking like no seams, just little like biting things. I don't it's like around summertime here, where there are like just out clouds of gnats. You ever been out at like that time? I run, or I try to run. And I, I remember running one place, and I'm just going like this. And unfortunately, I'm a mouth breather when I run. If you go into one of those clouds, and you get a mouthful of gnats, it's just not a pleasant experience. And these gnats are everywhere, and they're covering everything, and it's just annoying. But still, no one's dying. It's still God just saying, wake up. Wake up. I just wonder how many of us or how many people we know that God is saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. And there comes a point where God gets a little bit more serious about us waking up. Because I love this because, you know, in our lives we can look here and we can say, well, I can reproduce that. I can, I can do that. And in fact, 
imitation only goes so far because the magicians, they get imitated. And we can imitate being a good Christian. And we have churches full of people imitating being Christ followers. They are entering the churches, they sing the songs, they raise their hands. I, I used to tell people, I can get I can get monkeys to come in and raise their hands. I just hang bananas from the ceiling. And I get monkeys to raise their hands, it'll look like a worship service. We are good, but imitation takes us so far. Some, and there comes a point where it's not good enough. That's what's happening in the church today. There are people that have imitated it so long, and they just decided, like, I can't do this anymore. And so... I'm not really a Christian. And they never really were followers of Christ. All these studies that we see and all these things like the church is dying. Church isn't dying. The church is fine. God's church is still God's church. Amen. It's just people are realizing this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And I can't imitate it anymore. Look at what the magicians say. In verse 18 it says, The magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on man and beast. Listen to what they say. This is the finger of God. The magician said to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Imitation's only going to get you so far. And if you're faking it, you're going to run out. You can't follow Christ and fake it. It's only going to get you so far. And so God comes to a point in our lives, and I think this is what's happening in our churches today, that God is saying, I'm going to separate the truth and the lie. And I'm going to make it very, very well, because also the separation started happening between the, the Egyptians and the Israelites. See, before those other three, the Israelites had to deal with the frogs and the bloody water, and they had to deal with the gnats and all that stuff. But all of a sudden, there was a separation. God said, these are my people. I'm going to show you how much I care. And I think that's happening. In our culture and in our churches today. And so God's not no longer saying, I want you to wake up. I'm like, now you're going to listen loud and clear. And so the fourth plague, it starts getting a little bit hard. In um, Exodus 8, verse 20, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, present yourself to prayer. When you see him going out to the water, tell him this is what Yahweh says. Let my people go so they may worship me. But if you will not let my people go, then I will send swarms of flies against you, your officials, your people, and your house. The Egyptians' houses will swarm with flies, and so will the land where they live. But on that day, I will give special treatment to the land of Goshen, where my people are living. No flies will be there. This way you will know that I am Yahweh and, and in the land. I will make distinction between my people and your people. This sign will take place tomorrow. I love when God starts saying, Guess what? This is going to happen tomorrow. And again, this is against Kepri, the God of creation. <coughs> God of the land and everything. And, and also flies over but also we start seeing a distinction. God starts separating. God starts separating. And then he goes on, plague 5 in uh, Exodus 9, verse 1. He says, then the Lord God said to Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say to him, this is what Yahweh the God of Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go and keep holding them, then the Lord's hand will bring a severe plague against your livestock. The fields, the horse, the donkeys, camels, herds, and flocks. But the Lord will make distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all the Israelites' home will die. And so, boom, here he goes. All the livestock starts dying. Athor, the God of love and protection. Another Egyptian died down. And again, God is separating. These are my people. 
These are the ones that get These are the ones. This is what you've replaced them with. And it sounds harsh. It sounds, and it's going to get harsher as you go. Plague 6 and verse 8 and 9. Lord said, Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of furnace soot. And Moses is to throw it toward heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. It will come fine dust over the entire land of Egypt. It will come festering boils on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses threw it towards heaven and became festering bowls, boils on man and beast. It says the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as all the Egyptians. It just starts ramping up. It's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. ISIS, the goddess of medicine and peace, it's not answering. They're all struggling. They're all brand. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's disgusting. It's, it really is disgusting. Boils. I don't know if you've ever had a boil. It's it's disgusting. It's painful. It's irritating. I've had one. Hated it. Don't ever want it again. I mean, you just feel unclean. And the Egyptians also were a very clean <coughs> people. Cleanliness was everything to them. And all of a sudden, everything is dirty. Everything in God is just like, here, here's what's happening. Again, you, you replace me with this, here's the consequence. It gets worse. Plague 7, Exodus 9, starting verse 17. He says, you are still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting go. Tomorrow at this time, I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, give orders to bring your livestock and all you have in the field into shelters. Every person and animal that's in the field and not brought inside will die when the hail falls on them. As God said, against, against nut, which is pretty normal, nut, the goddess of the sky, but hail's coming down. But I love that God said to again in his mercy and in his grace, he says, listen, I want to do this tomorrow, so bring it in. And there were those that did. There were those that started changing. I love that in these plagues, these last ones, God starts giving a choice. I think some Egyptians are starting to realize all that, all those statues, all this stuff we've done in life is nothing. It's empty. And this God is the God. And they, they started bringing their stuff in, but those that didn't, just hail, fire, just destroying all of that stuff. And, and I also think that it's kind of interesting, too, that when that hail hit, it hit the flax, and it hit all kinds of other stuff. It didn't hit their food. They had an opportunity to choose. They had an opportunity to step back and say, okay, we're gonna, we've seen this. And yet, they still, Pharaoh's like, no, 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 I don't believe you. Verse 26 says, the only place it didn't hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Again, God separating the truth from the lie. And then the eighth plague. Jump over to Exodus 10. Verse 4 and 6, he says, but if you refuse to let my people Go, then tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They will cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will eat the remainder left to you that escaped the hail. They will eat every tree you have growing in the fields. They will fill your houses, all your fishers' houses, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something your fathers and ancestors never saw since the time they occupied the land until today. Then he turned and left Pharaoh's presence. Seth, God of storms. He talked about just locusts everywhere. 
That was the truth. That was all of it. God. <coughs> Seth, the God of storms. And if that wasn't enough, God says, no, we're not done. Plague 9, down verse 21 and verse 23. <coughs> the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, and there will be darkness of the land of Egypt, a darkness that can't be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. One person could not see another, and for three days they did not move from where they were, yet all the Israelites had light where they lived. Ra, the sun god. I love, I love God starts with the Nile, which they see every single day, and they worship. And God goes all the way to the sun, which they worship. It's the most popular God, Ra, the sun god, and they looked at it. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in some place so dark that you could feel the darkness? I mean, some place where you can't even see your hand. Like, I've been in places where you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face, and it literally, you felt the darkness. And that's what covers this land, except... For the Israelites. So God makes a dramatic statement through all these plagues. He keeps saying, listen, this is what you've replaced me with. And this is how empty it is. This is the cause of it. And it still wasn't good enough. Pharaoh still says, and God had hardened his heart and the people still had said, no, we're not doing this. We're not turning to God. And then God <clears throat> makes the ultimate statement. Exodus chapter 11. Verse 4 says, So Moses said, This is what Yahweh says, About midnight I will go through Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is behind the millstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. There will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. See, because in the end, the final God <coughs> that usurps God in our life is us. And that was Pharaoh. Pharaoh himself, he's like, oh, I am the chief, I am a God here. I, all the other gods, yeah, they're okay, but I am Pharaoh. And none of this is going to touch me. Do you think Pharaoh went hungry when the, when the wheat was destroyed or the cattle got sick and all that stuff? Do you think Pharaoh suffered or he didn't have clean water stashed away somewhere and all that stuff? No, Pharaoh, there was still that pride and that self in him. And so that final thing, that final God, the hardest God to get off the throne of our heart is ourself. And it's the one fighting for it all the time. And God makes a statement and says, listen, not even Pharaoh, the firstborn, all of it, it's, they're, they're done. And it's harsh and it's fair. But God doesn't only make an ultimate statement, He makes an ultimate solution. Jump to Exodus 12. This, this is beautiful. 12 and 13. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute my judgments against all gods of Egypt. But the blood on the houses where you are staying will be distinguished and marked for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God set up a plan. He said, listen, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to kill it. And I want you to have a special meal, but I want you to take a goat lamb, and I want you to paint it over your door. In every house, I see that blood. You know what? I'm going to pass over. Even, <coughs> even 
between God's judgment and his righteous judgment, there's mercy. There's, there's grace. And he says, listen, all, I'm going to pass over. I'm going to pass. It's, it's the ultimate solution. And we see that it was fulfilled one day because in John 1.29 it says, Next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. It is the most beautiful, perfect picture of God's plan to just to restore and save his people. That what he started in Egypt, that pastor would be fulfilled one day on a hill in Jerusalem when Christ gave his life. It was perfect. It was the ultimate solution. That no matter what we've done, where we've been, or any of that stuff, that it can be covered. And all we had to do was just paint the blood over. So yeah, it, it is beautiful. Now you know we read these, and I know we say that we, we live in a time, and I'm grace driven. Let me let me tell you, I'm, I'm probably one of the most grace driven people in the world. Like I just everyone's like, oh, give them another chance, give them another chance, yeah, let's give them another chance. Let's, let's go on, let's let's just hug it out. You know, I'm very grace driven, and we know we love that. We love the New Testament. We look at God. It says, oh, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We're all excited about it. We go in the Old Testament, and we're like, that's a scary God. I mean, that's ten plagues. All those people. And God makes it very clear that he is a jealous God. That he, there will be no other gods before him. He deserves our worship. He deserves all the praise. He's earned it. He created it. It is all for him. But God is not jealous about himself. Also, God is jealous for you and me. That when he sees us, Going and putting other things in our life that replace God. God is jealous for our joy. God is jealous for our peace. God is jealous for our prosperity. God is jealous for all that stuff. Our love, our relationship. And he knows that when we take other stuff and we put it in there. And we find the emptiness of it. It breaks his heart more than it will ever break ours. And so yeah, our God is jealous, but he's jealous for his worship. His glory, but he's also jealous for you and me. And if he has to send ten plagues into our lives or into our world to show, listen, I am here. Everything else is empty and false and it will lead to destruction. I am here. We see over and over in those passages, God says, I'm going to do this tomorrow. You have a chance to turn. You have a chance to repent. You have a chance to change your mind. And I know that, that none of that happens unless God draws the heart. Listen, I can't save anybody. All I can do is preach God's word, and then God draws the heart, and God makes that invitation. And we look at it, he's a jealous God, because in John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That, that's the point of all. And we, we fill ourselves with so much other stuff. That is empty. And then we wonder why, why our world is struggling and why people are struggling. Because we have taken God out of the You know, I, I love people that yell at me and says, we got to get prayer back in the schools. And I said, prayer is still in the schools. As long as there's a Christian student in the school, prayer is still in the schools. Mm 
We, we got to get prayer back in our government. And we are, we're a Christian nation. We are a Christian nation. We have never been a Christian nation. We're a Christian nation. We need to be obedient to what God's calling us to live our lives. I mean, you want to change the world? You want to change our country and our culture? I can tell you, it's, it's very simple. Start by living your faith out with your neighbor. Start by being one that says, I choose to make God first and foremost, and I won't replace him with anything else. And others will see that. See, because Jesus isn't going to be a part-time Savior. Uh, I love Spurgeon. I'm on Spurgeon this week. I'm really liking him. He says, if, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as part Savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. God doesn't want just part of us. God doesn't want just a little piece here and a piece there. God doesn't want us on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or wherever we gather. God doesn't want just that. God wants all of us. He wants us to take everything else, all those other gods and all those other things we've replaced them with and get rid of them. And God says, I want it all. That's what I want. That's always been the plan. And that's the message of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation. See, see, the day is coming when God will make himself known without a shadow of a doubt once again. There will not be anybody that will doubt that he is God. My prayer for the and Florida and the world is that we find that out before we don't have a choice anymore. That's all of it. That, that's what God says. That's what, that's what God brings us. That's God wants from us. All of you. So let me, let me ask you tonight. The stuff you're holding on to, is it worth it? it is, is it more than what God can give? Listen, I don't want to tell you, we, we've got people preaching in churches today that, that I would love to just start slapping because they're preaching all kinds of stupid stuff. That are like, if you trust Jesus, everything's going to be perfect and you're going to get a big boat. I mean, it's crazy. Nowhere in Scripture doesn't say any of that stuff. If you have enough faith, I had a friend that was devastated for years because someone came up to her and said, you know, if you had enough faith, your father would have died. You just didn't have faith and pray hard enough. <coughs> and I just wanted to like, tell me who that person is because I'd like to personally meet them and lay hands on them. <laughs> I mean, we got stupid stuff. We got people saying that we don't want to be offensive with the gospel. We, we don't want to be offensive. And we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So you know what? The, Choose your way. Because it all leads to God anyway. No, it doesn't. God says, I am the God and I am jealous. And I will make myself known and I will show you that everything else in your life that you've replaced me with is empty and meaningless and will only bring harm. That, that, is, that is the God we preach. That is the God we know. And that is the God that this world desperately needs. If my God is no bigger than some dinosaur theology or some other tribal God, then that God is not worth my life. And he's not worth yours. 
And so I ask you again tonight, what is it that you have placed above God? Because I believe with all my heart, if you are following Christ and you have placed something above God, then it's going to start with a wake-up call. It's going to be uncomfortable. But God will finish what he started. He promised to complete his work in us. Whether you want him to or not, he's going to complete his work. How well and how good that goes for you, I think is up to our obedience. Because God is going to do what God is going to do. Because God can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, to whoever he wants, however he wants, because he is God. And I'm not. He is sovereign. And he showed it to the Egyptians. And my prayer tonight is that he showed it to us. And so tonight, I just I want us to take some time and I want us just to respond. And, and how we respond here is, is very simple. Okay, we, we do what God. Did.